Wales Open, they're away in the Golden Slipper. There's a great start. And Mick, Mick Masque on the extreme outside is about the first out. Jack Yagler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front. Jack the trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Juggler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code JohnTap.Racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. Young Queensland jockey Anthony Allen can only imagine what might have been had incentivizers owner Steve Tregay not been amenable to expressions of interest in the horse from a Victorian syndicate headed by Bray Sikolsky. Steve finally agreed to sell a half share after four Queensland wins, three of them by unthinkable margins. Incentivise actually had two more runs in Queensland in the Sikolsky colours, winning a 2560-metre Ipswich benchmark by 9.5 lengths and the Group 3 Tats Cup at Eagle Farm by a staggering 12 lengths. That was Anthony's fifth win on the gelding, and he knew this was to be his last ride on the Son of Seamus Award. Anthony Allen is approaching his 29th birthday. Apprenticed initially at Grafton to David Campbell and later to John Shelton, he says he made a low-key start to race riding on the Northern Rivers, but really hit his straps when transferred to Queensland trainer Steel Ryan. He made quite a statement at a Doombin Saturday meeting in July 2012 when he won five races, the first apprentice to achieve that feat since Ivan Wanofsky 34 years earlier. Allen has gone on to win more than 530 races, most of them in Queensland, for a wide range of stables. He obviously hoped that incentivise would be the horse to propel him onto the big stage, but in the dollar-driven Australian racing scene of the modern era, that opportunity evaporated. Let's see how he's coping with life after incentivise as he joins us on the podcast. Good morning, Anthony Allen. Oh, thanks, Johnny. Appreciate it. Well, you've had some consolation this week. You had a winner at Eagle Farm last Wednesday, Sir Warwick, and a double on the Gold Coast on Saturday, Triple Arrow and Grandioso. So the winners are rolling in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sort of been staying in the winning circle this week. It's been pretty good, but uh, this week's better than others, obviously. But um, yeah, it was sort of good to stay in the winnings. Now, how did you get to see the running of the Maccabi Diva Stakes? You were in the race before and the race after. 
Yeah, well, um, we're all suited up, ready to get legged onto the horses uh, in the last race at the Gold Coast. So I end up, there's a TV out there, I end up just watching it just a little longer just to see the results anyway. But um, but no, I got to see the whole race. I was good. It worked out perfect, to be honest. Well, I'd, I'd love to get your impressions of the win. He really lifted uh, when Tafani almost joined him at the top of the straight. Then a couple took ground off him, obviously, Moanga and Sir Dragonay. But, Anthony, had they got a little closer, he might have lifted again. Who knows? Yeah, well, like I've always said, he's like he's a momentum horse, but he, he did sit on him a little longer than I expected. But um, I obviously got the results perfectly like perfectly ridden by uh, Brett. But uh, mm. I, I did think the last uh, furlong, he sort of was looking to change legs and sort of get comfortable again. But he uh, really responded to the stick yeah. and, uh, really, yeah, really lifted, like you said. Peter Moody has been on air several times during the week and he said since the Tattersall's Cup at Eagle Farm when you rode him, he'd had only one soft trial and two soft gallops. So it's feasible that he was just running out of condition the last little bit. Yeah, he could be a little bit, but even when he jumped down the ground, I thought that was his, he hasn't really been. Well, to be honest, I I said to my partner, I said he hasn't. I haven't really been able to get at him because I haven't really needed to. Mm. Um, like he did, he did it all on his own, and yeah, and this is the first time he's had a a good quality race underneath him to sort of put pressure on him, and uh, it was good to see him to sort of come out on top like that. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing uh, regarding the Caulfield Cup. I read somewhere this morning that his next run will be the Turnbull Stakes and then he might go straight into the Melbourne Cup off that. Looking at him, Anthony, if you had to pick a horse who looks a potential two-miler, he's it. He just looks as though he's got a big V8 engine ticking away under the bonnet, doesn't he? Yeah, 100%. Well, like, um, it was only five months ago he won his maiden, so he's still learning and like, how he's doing it. He's, he's dominating in my eyes. Even though your chances of being retained were pretty remote uh, once he went to Melbourne, did you at least throw your hat into the ring? Yeah, I drew my name in the hat a few times to sort of ring him to annoy him, but um, you can only do so much. And plus, these day and age with COVID around, it sort of makes a bit things uh, a bit difficult. But um, mm. apart from that, like a little bit gutted about it, but at the same time, it's just this is part of our job. This is what we do, and this is how it goes. You know, uh, people want to put the the best elite rider and get them uh, the best result as soon as possible. You know, yeah. Um, but yeah, even you know, watching the Maccabi Diva Stakes on Saturday, you would have had mixed feelings. I know you'll be highly delighted for Steve Tregay, who's been a wonderful supporter for you, and for incentivising himself because you love the horse. But it must have hurt a little bit. Oh yeah, it hurt a lot. It sort of took a little bit, take a little bit to get over it. But um, it, it is what it is, type thing. But that's mm. how I sort of got to look at it. But other than that, like hopefully another opportunity like that comes along. Um, that's all you can do, just sort of get on the next opportunity. Because of incentivizer's immaturity, his first three runs were staggered over a long period of time, about seven months altogether. He finally opened his account in a sunny coast maiden over a mile on the 11th of April this year. And although he won by three and a bit lengths, he was very green. How green was he? Oh, yeah. Look, he was incredibly green. Like, the starts before that, I couldn't really get him into first gear, and let alone to get go through all his gears. But um, 
the the maiden when he won, I was really impressed because I had to run down a leader which skipped three lengths in front, and then he ran him down and put another two lengths on it. Yeah. Which I thought, wow, this is hopefully. I was like, I got off remembering saying to Steve Trickay that I was like, we should just take him to town now. And I said, anything you put him in, mm. I said he's gonna win. Um, but <laughs> now look at him, he's winning a group one. But yeah, he like I said, he's, he's just always been that type of horse that you. He couldn't really fall asleep on because he's always trying to do something else, um, mm. like just running around a little bit. But yeah, I remember that day, his legs are going everywhere. Yeah. Well, a fortnight after that, he went to the sunny coast. He won a class two over a mile by a much narrower margin. He got a bit lost that day, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. We sort of had to loom around him. I was still riding him quiet, just trying to hold him together and just get make sure he sort of goes through his gears properly again. Um, but yeah, I sort of had to go around a few and sort of got pushed off again. But other than that, like all the excuses to get beat, he still come out and in like the last hundred, he still stretched out like he did and still got him. Yeah. Steve then gave him a run at home at Toowoomba in a benchmark 70. Kyle Wilson Taylor rode him on that occasion. His margin was only 7.3 lengths that night. Yeah, yeah, it was actually it was a it was a good run. I I thought I think he needed to get to win that race to go into the finals. So um, he's got the kid on there that was flying up there and done a really good job to sort of get the result. And um, yeah, he said he kept telling me like, oh, he feels like he's a machine. This horse. I said, yeah, well, just don't don't ruin him on me, please. Just hold him together. <laughs> but apart from that, he done a great job. Well, he didn't run again for three weeks, and this was the day. Everybody sat up and took notice. It was a benchmark 80 at Eagle Farm, stepping up in distance to 1,800. You were three wide midfield going down the back. You couldn't see much point staying out there, so you let him stride to the front. And even Steve was a bit worried because the horse had never been in front in his life and he didn't know how he'd react. Did he feel uh, to get lost once you reached the lead or didn't he care? Uh, to be honest, yeah, he didn't really feel too lost. Like I, the tempo of the race was a lot softer than I um, thought it was going to happen. Mm. But um, he actually loomed to the front under himself, which I was impressed because I was like, he, normally I uh, was a bit, if you niggle him, he doesn't really get on the bridle. As he takes a little bit to get on the bridle. So yeah. Yeah, when I reached the lead, I was like, yeah. I, to be honest, I was probably in the same same boat as Steve. I was a little bit worried. I was like, oh, I just hope he doesn't get too lost. Yeah. But to be honest, it kind of really found his feet that day and I think he grew, uh, learned a lot from it. So, Yeah, well, he won that by nine lengths and Steve couldn't wait to get him to Ipswich a couple of weeks later for a 2,500-metre race. Now, between Eagle Farm and Ipswich, Steve Tregay got the fateful phone call that would see the landscape change dramatically. When did he tell you about the offer? Uh, to be honest, I couldn't really remember when he told me, but, um, I think I read it in an article first and then he might've rang, I rang him and told asked him mm. because, yeah, I thought it was a bit odd that he did sell him, but at the same time, like Steve's a good businessman and like he's a good trainer and he knows what he's doing. Like he just, mm. yeah, I respect him in that way. And yeah, it's just a bit of a shock that he did sell him, to be honest, if we're going so good, but yep, you well, got to do what you got to do. Yeah, well, he won that Ipswich race by nine and a half lengths and then came a quantum leap 
to Group 3 company in the Tattersall's Cup, over 2,400. It wasn't a field of superstars, but Mirage Dancer had won a Group 1 in Sydney, so they were certainly not legless. Well, it was a Group 3. Uh, the margin was 12 lengths, Andy. You wore those uh, colours that were carried to victory by Yes, Yes, Yes in the Everest a couple of years ago. Yeah, look, oh, it was really good to get that right oh, with the boys and that, with Bray and that. But um, at the same time, it was uh, Peter Moody come up and just started watching him. So it was, mm. you know, I wanted to make sure I did the job properly and to prove I could could do it down Melbourne. But, um, yeah, yeah. at the same time, it was really good to sort of get the results like I did and, and keep going. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, you did a wonderful job on him. And who knows, Anthony? Racing's a funny old game. You might lob on him again someday, somewhere. I hope you do. Now, let's look yeah, at the... Sorry. With, sorry. With the racing game, the way it is, you know, there's always a chance I might be able to get back on. Like, something could always happen. Like, well, Glenn Boss was going to ride him and then they end up yeah. COVID, like I said. COVID sort go. of plays the game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's look at the life of young Anthony Allen. You spent your early years in Maitland... And it wasn't until you went to school that mum and dad realised you had a serious hearing impairment. You were not completely deaf, but the sounds you were hearing were very indistinct. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, my uh, parents were sort of, well, to be honest, I was struggling with school, learning the alphabet. You know, some letters sounded the same at the time. Mm. But... um. No one really thought about it until I was like seven. I think mm. I got my hearing aids at seven and, and sort of, yeah, it was all a new world for me up then. But, um, yeah, not totally deaf or anything like that, but it was more or less just obviously not as good as everyone else. Yeah. Specialists tried you initially with grommets, uh, those little tubes designed to drain away any fluids and keep the eardrums open. Sometimes they can improve hearing, but in your case they didn't work at all. No, yeah, they'll, they end up being pointless at the end, but, you know, like, um, yeah, it is what it is, but hopefully we'll try and everything at that moment to sort of learn about it all, I mm. guess. Well, you've been wearing hearing aids from a very early age and you continue to do so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I've, I've done everything with them now. I've played football, done a little bit of a speedway racing, uh, now being jockey, like I've always been a bit of a adrenaline junkie, but... Mm. Yeah, that's never really stopped me. Mm. During school days, you were far more interested in motorbikes and go-karts than you were in horses. Anything that could muster a bit of speed. Yeah, yeah. I was a, like I said, I was a little bit of adrenaline junkie. It was it's good fun to go quick in that. Um, but yeah, horses never really interested me until uh, I got a job offer at David Campbell's stable. So mm. that's when it all sort of grew from there. You had a passion for rugby league at the time and you tell me you dreamed one day that you might play for the Newcastle Knights. <laughs> yeah, Newcastle Knights was my team and I always well, – I had a uh, – my grandma at the time, she – her nep nephew? Yeah, her nephew used to play for the Knights. His name was uh, Danny Baduras and yeah. really all I wanted to do was be part of that team was good but at the same time wait for me gross but was uh, taking a little longer. The only real family connection with racing is the fact that your paternal grandfather, Les, once rode a bit of track work. 
and uh, I read somewhere he wanted to be a jockey, but his parents wouldn't let him. Yeah, he sort of had to little do had to do a little bit of a family business with selling vegetables door to door. So, uh, yeah, pops, dad wasn't really uh, too keen on him stepping away from that and doing these uh, doing his own thing on the on the track. But mm. yeah, pop was was interested in uh, becoming a jockey, but yeah, it didn't seem to happen. Well, in your early days, you were waiting for a growth spurt to come along, so you could consider that league career. But there was no growth spurt. <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. I'm still waiting, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you really? Well, you got that apprenticeship with Dave Campbell at Grafton and later you transferred to John Shelton. You picked a terrific racing town in Grafton. Yeah, well, it was a big, really, it was unexpected, to be honest. It wasn't a plan at all. And um, I didn't think the job would take me this far in life, but life seems to do that a little bit. So, no, it was good. I started at Dave Campbell's and uh, he taught me how to ride and a little bit of track work and then did a few trials with him. Mm. And, yeah, end up Johnny Shelton sort of was going to give me a gig and I ended up th- thought it was a good opportunity to, you know, stretch himself out and learn about it all. So, mm. Well, 10th of April 2010 was the date of your very first race ride. It was on a horse called Legal Star for your boss, John Shelton, at Lismore. There were 10 others or 11, yeah, field of 11. So your 10 opponents were in awful trouble just after the start because you crossed from a wide gate and uh, you gave them a real shorty. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a bit messy out the gates, but uh, it was good to finally get the first start, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, but, uh, I did have a little bit of a carnage at the early stage and uh, took me a little bit to get going to learn about it all and uh, get the rhythm of running. So. Were the stewards sympathetic to your inexperience? No penalty on the day. I don't. Yeah, I don't think there was any penalties on the day, but they did give me a few like warnings and stuff like that. But um, mm. I guess that's what being apprentices. That's what it is all about, you know. <clears throat> now the day that no jockey forgets, the magical first winner for you. It was a horse called Red Lightning at Mawillambar in May of two thousand and ten. And just to remind you, the trainer's name. Anthony was S. J. Fitzsimmons. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, um, I've ridden the horse before, but this time with Moulinbrough, it was a good. Yeah, the race ended up seeing him pan out really nicely, and uh, yeah, <laughs> it was my second week of racing, so I was still pretty fairly green. Mm. And um, yeah, getting the win was a big thrill, man. And he was there, and it was good to sort of get that off me back at that time. Yep. You'd written about 48 winners on the Northern Rivers in your first couple of years when the opportunity came up to transfer your indentures to Steel Rhine at Deegan in Brisbane and you were ready to move on. Yeah, to be honest, I had a, a mate that was sort of my mentor as well, um, Matty Paget at the time. He sort of mm. told me he might, that I should, uh, should start looking to go up there and, you know, stretch me, like learn about it all again. You know, he said he just sort of – I wasn't really going as good as what I wanted to be down Grafton. Mm. So uh, to grow and learn about it all, like get me out of there was probably the best thing ever, to be honest. Mm. Well, you announced your arrival in Brisbane, Anthony, in a very spectacular way because you rode five winners 
at a Doombin Saturday meeting. I'll just remind you of the names of those five winners. Double Image, Modern Warfare, Racing Heart, Lucky Luna and Bradbury's Chocolate. Are you a confidence rider? Were you, were you getting were you six foot tall and bulletproof by the time you got to the last? Uh, yeah, 100%. Like it was a bit, the day went so quick. I uh, couldn't really get get a chance to sort of sit down and relax and think about the next race. But um, at that time as apprentice, I was flying. Like I was everywhere I was going, I was sort of, you know, getting a winner or two. Mm. Um, but on that day, it was just, everything just panned out perfect. And that's, yeah, I got, was actually one of the biggest days of my career, I guess. Oh, my word, man. It opened a door, too, because the spin-off from that day got you a three-month loan to the Gerald Ryan Stable in Sydney, and you were actually leading the Brisbane Jockeys Premiership at the time you left for Sydney. You would have had mixed feelings about that. Uh, the mixed feelings was more coming from the boss at the time. He's like, do you want to win the Premiership or do you want to ride down Sydney? And I was... I was pretty excited to even get the opportunity to ride in Sydney. I like honestly coming from Grafton, I didn't expect myself to go as good as I have and mm. um, get the results, the, the success I've been getting. But um, mm. the Sydney then popped up, and I honestly I think I didn't think about it too long. Too long, I was more excited to go down there and show that I could do it down there and learn from the big boys down there. So, mm. well, gee, you got away to a flyer in Sydney. Three days after arriving, you won a race at Rose Hill for Anthony Cummings. I asked you the name of the horse the other day and you couldn't think of it. It was called Aguida or Iguada in the Goree colours. That must have been a hell of a thrill. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Uh, it actually won by a bit of a margin as well. Like it, um, only had the two rides on the day, but mm. the second ride of the day was me winner. So first winner and first meeting, I was... I was thrilled I was wrapped. Yeah. I thought it was uh, onward to bigger things, so, yeah. I recall you were winning a race at Warwick Farm one day for Clary Connors on a little filly by the name of Assail. I think it was a two-year-old race. She was a pony. Do you remember her? Yeah, I definitely do, yes. I um, she Yeah, she ended up being a favourite into the Magic Millions. It turned out, like, I ended up getting there and, a little bit late to the race meeting and jumping on the horse. And mm. to be honest, the horse wasn't much of a pony, like like two little two-year-old learning. Mm. It actually um, was a bit of a pocket rocket. I couldn't really get it to really relax and settle. Mm. But um, no, it won pretty, pretty good and pretty strong. So, yeah. Mm. There was one particular jockey in Sydney at that time who became a mentor of sorts for you. He took an interest in your progress and he was very helpful. And I refer to Peter Robel, who's now training. Yeah, yeah. He actually, uh, there was a couple of times there where he sort of got called in the room and uh, he gave me a few advice about sort of how to talk in the room and that and just, you know, to be fair and that. Mm. But um, he was also riding for Anthony Cummings as well. So it was kind of, it was good to sort of get his point of view and, yeah, learn from him because I was like, yeah, I respected the man. He was a, He's just—he's really good at uh, good at his job, obviously. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, widely, yeah. widely experienced. Hundred percent, yeah. Well, just pause for a moment, Anthony, to clear a commitment on the podcast. If you'd be kind enough to stand by, back with you in just a moment. 
Not even the absence of enthusiastic crowds will detract from the quality of racing at this year's Spring Carnival. Take Saturday, September the 18th, for example. Highlight is the time-honoured George Main Stakes, supported by the Group 2 Shorts. The Princess Series continues with the Group 2 T-Rose, and then there's the Group 3 Bill Ritchie and the Group 3 Kingston Town Stakes. Saturday, September the 25th features the Group 1 Golden Rose, the Golden Pendant for the Phillies and Mares, the Epsom lead-up, the Group 2 Shannon Stakes, and the gloaming for the budding three-year-old stayers over 1,800 metres. A little piece of history comes into the equation on Saturday, October 2nd, when the Tab Epsom gets top billing. It's the first time the historic mile has offered 1.5 million in prize money. The Heineken Metropolitan carries 750,000, as does the Dali Flight Stakes, the final leg of the Princess Series. The very best horses will be playing to empty houses, but those watching off course will still thrill to some truly great theatre. The Australian Turf Club and Racing New South Wales proudly presents the 2021 Spring Racing Carnival. My special guest is Anthony Allen. You were in touch with Steel Ryan regularly and he was telling you Rob Heathcote was inquiring into your likely return to Queensland. Uh, you'd ridden five or six winners in Sydney, but the three months rolled around very quickly. It was time to go home and you formed an association with Rob Heathcote. In fact, you and he had a great run for a while there. Yeah, I had, I rode a few winners for him. He was sort of a uh, top top trainer at the time and flying, and I, I thought if I come back and apply what I learned in Sydney, I'll be able to take out the premiership up here. And, um, yeah, so like, I felt I learned a lot down there. Like a lot of big, the racing down there is a little bit different than up here, but um, mm. in Brisbane. But, yeah, it was sort of getting the pressure from me, boss, and, yeah, it was – yeah, he convinced me to sort of come back and, and it worked out to sort of try and take out the premiership up here for the next two years. Steel Ryan puts you on a nice little horse by the name of Susashi around this time and uh, you won a lovely little hat trick on Susashi, Ipswich, Doombin and Eagle Farm. Yeah, he was uh, he was my favourite horse at the stable. Like, he was a big machine. He was just there. Uh, he went a million miles an hour. He'd never really get him to sort of relax um so he was always a handful of riding work yeah. but other than that the riding race day was for the boss to get three wins on him it was an enormous thing for me and it meant a lot for me before incentivize came along steve tregay had no doubt love rocks was the best horse to come off his toowoomba farm now this was the horse with chronic knee problems right throughout a 16 start career but he still managed to win five races you won a hat-trick on him, including a lovely stakes race in Brisbane called the Loch Ney. Yeah, that was my uh, first opportunity to sort of get a ride in the listed, um, or a, a favourite chance in the listed. Um, and to come out and win it quite easily, I thought, it was, yeah, it was just a big thing. And it was good to leave the way at that time Steve was giving me a lot of uh, opportunities on him. And that's, I'm pretty sure that's where he grew from, like our... Uh, Mm. sort of relationship and to to what it is at the moment. So it was good to get the listed myself off me back as apprentice. Um, yeah, it was a, enormous. 
Steve's got a four-year-old half-brother to Love Rocks by the name of Bring the Love, who's by Sebring. How's he going? He's going good. He's, he's learning a lot still. Um, I wrote him last Saturday. Toowoomba ran second on him. It was just a, a little bit at the end. But he, um, I'm actually riding him today at Cloundra, and hopefully we can get the uh, get the money today. Another smart mare <clears throat> you've been riding for the Tregay stable is Eloquently, who's won six from nine so far, and you've ridden her in four of those wins. You've got a bit of an opinion of Eloquently. Yeah, yeah, she's actually going through her gears really well. And um, to be honest, the first win on her was sort of, she wanted, she was running on fear at the moment. And uh, the last win I rode at uh, Eagle Farm, she actually really box seat and really extended the last bit. So I was, yeah, she's learned a lot. She's sort of coming through and like, turned into a really nice horse and the Metro horse. So it was, it was really good to see. The lowest point in your career came as recently as 2018, when a simple mental block in a 2,450-metre race at Bow Desert thrust you into the headlines. Now, the race started at the 1,200-metre mark, but coming around the home turn the first time, you thought it was a 1,200-metre race and you took off. Now, what you thought was an easy win turned out to be a big clangor but you quickly realised your mistake. You gave chase, but it was too late and the horse finished well back and may have under any circumstances. Now, you tell me at the time that happened, you were burning the candle at both ends. You were riding work. You were getting into New South Wales often for Northern Rivers meetings and you were wasting a bit at that stage of your career. I think you were suffering a bit of burnout at that time. Yeah, hundred percent. Like I just, you know, you burn yourself at the both ends of the candle, kind of thing. But um, I was riding work a fair bit, riding ten to thirteen horses a morning. Um, the day before, I end up going to so riding work and then end up going to Coffs Harbour. Still a little bit heavy on the, so I had to lose weight on the way down. But um, so had to drive back home from Coffs Harbour and then had to ride work again, which yeah, it was a little bit exhausting at the time and. On the day, like, like the bow desert start, yeah, like you said, it was a twelve hundred meter, like just a big, embarrassing uh, mind blank just seems to happen. Yeah. But obviously, when you're not uh, looking after yourself mentally and physically, it's just sort of stuff like this happens, and yeah. it's, a, it's part of the job being like a very demanding job. And uh, yeah, it was <laughs> very uh, embarrassing kind of day, but. Mm. The only way to get through it was sort of push through and just keep showing them that's that one day doesn't define me type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I said, this job it just sort of always wants you there and demanding like you just every hour of the day. But apart from that, I've, it's a big learning curve for me. I sort of had to put myself first and just learn how to mm-hmm. look after myself a little bit better and get through it. But I had good people around me, like uh, Jimmy Byrne and my family and my Beyonce, Yolani Fancourt around me to sort of help me through it. I imagine the toughest part would have been the ribbing you were copping from your mates in the jockey's room. Or were they sympathetic? Could happen to any one of them. Uh, To be honest, I think I was a little bit too angry to approach on the day. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Oh, yeah, I don't think they were game enough to say anything on the day. But but now uh, it's 
you just got to joke about it and move on. But that's I'm usually the first one to joke about it now before anyone else. But yeah, I guess that's all a coping mechanism, I guess. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. You know, your weight is really stabilised these days. I think your weight's as good as it's ever been. You can ride 54 on your ear. And if the opportunity warrants, you could ride even lighter. Yeah, 100%. Like, I, there's no need to really, at the moment, to ride under 54. I haven't really ridden under 54, ridden 52, maybe mm. once or twice a year. But apart from that, 54 seems to be the weight to sort of stick around. And, um, yeah, at the moment, 50, walking around that pretty well. So, mm. um, obviously, they're just trying to make sure I don't get too heavy. <laughs> Yeah, my word. You've already mentioned your fiance, Alana Fancourt, a very accomplished jockey who rode a winner on the Gold Coast on Saturday. She won on Poets Girl. So you and Alana won three races between you. Yeah, we had a really good day yesterday. Um, sort of, she had three rides yesterday, a winner in the second. Um, I ended up knocking her off in the in the last race. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's uh, the competitive side of each other. We, um, yeah, she wasn't too happy about that, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> she was but, apprentice um, to Tony Gollan, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah, she was there for seven years, I think, seven, eight years, mm. give or take. Um, she had a good run with him and sort of, she's sort of a Gillian Heinrichs out now at the Gold Coast, sort of yeah. branching out to try and sort of get more contacts and more rides at the Gold Coast and mm. establish herself there a bit more. Is racing the dominant conversation in your place? Or is it barred after working hours? Uh, to be honest, we we don't we talk about it well, like maybe like when the races come out, acceptance and stuff like that. But other than that, we we'd like we like to sort of you know talk about other things, <laughs> other thing that than racing. Um, mm. It's not the most talked about topic. Who are the jockeys along the way, Anthony, for whom you've had special admiration? Special admiration. Oh, I've always been a fan of Jimmy Byrne. Yeah. He's always been like a top rider in Brisbane. Zach Burton was always a, a jockey I would like to my style to be like. And uh, mm. if I got his success, I would wouldn't be <laughs> been more than happy as well. <laughs> my word. But, yeah, like, I've always been. You know, I've always watched people, everyone's style, and sort of take it in, try and learn from it, and uh, apply my own type thing. But uh, yeah. Mm. There's, there's probably few too many to sort of really... Of course. Put there, you know. Mm. <clears throat> you know, you're going to experience mixed feelings as you watch incentivise going around in those big races over the next few weeks. Just think, though, Anth, if he does happen to win the Melbourne Cup or the Turnbull Stakes or any other group ones over the carnival, you can claim a great deal of the credit for moulding him into the horse he is today. Take a rep. Yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, oh, I, I, I could say you could see, you, yeah, you could say that a little bit. But not gonna be, I'm not gonna lie. The few, next few two, two or three months is gonna be hard for me, but but I'll I'll still be supporting him and Steve and all the boys, hundred percent. You know, like <laughs> it's good to see the horse is actually doing what I said. I thought he would be capable of, and yeah. um, mm. to see where he sort of balances up with the rest of the boys is. It's more exciting, to be honest. Yep, absolutely. Well, he certainly looks the goods. Uh, he's a massive leap in class on Saturday, the Maccabi Diva Stakes. There were nine or ten Group 1 winners in that race. 
He did all of the bullocking in front. The multiple Group 1 winning mayor, Tafani, was annoying him most of the way on his outside and actually joined him at the top of the straight. But that's when the big bloke got serious. Yeah, I was actually more impressed with him coming out of the gates. I've always had to work on him out of the gates to sort of get him to put himself in the race. But uh, mm. for him to see him jump out and put himself on the bridle really nicely and travel beautiful, um, I was actually, I was like, oh, he's actually looked like he's switched on a lot more since I've ridden him. Mm. Um, but the last last furlong was probably his best, you know, where he really, really dug in deep and, you know, come over the top of him. Like he did, so it was good to see him learning and actually knocking them all off. <laughs> the best thing you can do to get incentivised off your mind is keep riding winners the way you have been in the last couple of weeks. Anthony, lovely of you to talk to us on a Sunday morning. I know you've got a busy day on the Sunshine Coast. Thanks for your time. Lovely to have you on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. The team at Inglis are describing this year's ready-to-race catalogue as the best ever assembled. The sale is scheduled for Tuesday, October the 12th and will feature 185 two-year-olds by some of Australia's most in-demand stallions and some exciting new sires. Most importantly, these youngsters have been prepared by some of the most talented breeze-up experts in Australia and New Zealand. The English ready-to-race sale leads the way in the field of two-year-old auctions with more than 400 individual winning graduates since 2015 accumulating almost $60 million in prize money. This year's entries will breeze up in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and New Zealand. High-quality videos of each and every workout will be available on the English website within 48 hours of the gallop. At your leisure, you'll have the opportunity to assess tractability, action, attitude and potential ability. To order your hard copy of the Ready to Race catalogue, email catalogue at inglis.com.au or speak to one of the Inglis Bloodstock team on 9399 7999.